welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. Gospel, Luke, in four weeks, but we got some little pieces here and there of teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, today is the end of that, and next week is Christ the King Sunday, where we celebrate the, the, the reign of Christ as King over all the heavens and the earth. That's going to be a great day across all three services here. And then two weeks from today is Advent. <laughs> Advent starts. Um, so it's the beginning of the Christmas season in the Christian calendar. Um, so uh, that's going to be exciting too. So we have a lot of great things coming throughout the next six weeks. So we invite you to come back and be a part of all the wonderful things that happen here at Wesley Memorial. And at the end of our service last week, uh, the benediction, we showed the verse Romans 8.11 on the screen, which says that, um, that just the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives within you, Right? And the reason we showed that is because those who are in Christ, we share in a in union with Him. So it's not just a relationship with God. As a Christian, we have union with God. So a better term is union or even marriage. That we share in His suffering, we share in His death, but we also share in His resurrection. We share in new life and in, in His eternity. And we looked at how Jesus talks about the afterlife and what he had to say about marriage and that marriage doesn't, doesn't happen anymore in heaven. And we think, well, that's kind of a bummer. I'm not even be married to my wife in heaven later. But he's really saying there's something even better than that to come, right? So it's not about what we're losing, but about what God is going to give us in terms of intimacy and, and awareness uh, in the life that is to come. And Jesus gives some real detail about that. And then today in Luke, Jesus gives a lot of detail about uh, his return, his eventual return. And when we hear about this idea that Jesus is coming back, uh, we tend to think of this sort of apocalyptic thing. And if you're not a religious person, you'll think it's just like weirdos with like a sign that says the end is near, you know, repent or whatever, Westboro Baptist or whatever. And... But that's not true. I mean, Jesus gives a lot of detail about this, and we should take his words seriously. It's not worth getting freaked out over, but there's some things that he gives, uh, he teaches very clearly on. One, he says that in Matthew 24, he teaches in detail about, even more about his return. And in Luke 21, we're getting ready to read, what all this have in common is that Jesus says, it's kind of going to get worse before it gets better. That's pretty clear. He says it'll be like the days of Noah. And if you know about the days of Noah, we know that it wasn't good. It was so bad that God had to flood the whole planet to rid the planet of what was going on. Uh, widespread perversion and sealing and just complete debauchery. Everyone except Noah. So Jesus is saying it will get worse before it gets better. So we hold that on one hand, but on the other hand, we know that God is love. This is the same Jesus that says to his disciples, I go and prepare a place for you, and when I do that, I will come back and take you to where I am. So we know that that's the heart of God. That Jesus will return to judge the nations, that's clear. But he'll also come to gather to himself those that are his and to take them home. And when I think about going home, I think about George Carlin, as I know all of you do, I'm sure. (laughs) 
as he did that famous bit about football and baseball, if you've never heard this before, but how as a culture, we love football, we love baseball, and it tells a lot about our culture. Just came out of baseball season, we're in the middle of football season. You know, he shows this sort of contrast, like football is played on a gridiron, sometimes called Soldier Field or War Memorial Stadium. Baseball is played on a diamond <laughs> in a park, the baseball park. Football begins in the fall when everything's dying. <laughs> spring, baseball happens in the spring when things are coming alive. In football, you wear a helmet. In baseball, you wear a cap, and sometimes a helmet. Football is concerned with downs. What down is it? How many downs do we have to play? Baseball is concerned with ups. Who's up? Who's up next? <laughs> Football has a two-minute warning. Baseball has a seventh-inning stretch. <laughs> Football is rigidly timed, and it will end and if, even if we've got to go to sudden death. <laughs> Baseball has no time limit. We don't even know when it's going to end. We may even go to extra innings. In football, the object is for the quarterback, known as the field general, to be on target with his aerial assault, riddling the defense by hitting his receivers with deadly accuracy in spite of the blitz. He may even have to use shotgun. With short bullet passes and long bombs, he marches his troops into enemy territory, balancing this aerial assault with a sustained ground attack that punches holes in the forward wall of the enemy's defensive line. In baseball, the point is to go home. <laughs> and be safe. I hope I'll be safe at home. I've heard it said that all the best stories either begin with someone uh, leaving town or leaving home or they end with someone coming home or coming into town. But the best stories end with going home. And now we have been exiled in this far country called Earth ever since Genesis 3. Our first parents were told to leave their home. And Jesus' return to the planet the first time and the second time, really, is to bring God's last children and lead them home. This is why Jesus hung out with the homeless. A holy man would hang out with homeless because it's God's mission. At least homeless people acknowledge they know they're homeless. All of us are homeless, but not everybody knows it. This is indeed our temporary home. And either in death or if we're somehow alive when Jesus returns, we will go home. And in Luke 21, Jesus gives a lot to say about that. It's a fairly long passage, but it's good to hear his teaching on this. And notice how he'll, he'll shift between present tense and then he'll go to future tense. And you can tell when he does. He's speaking um, to them, to the disciples, and then he shifts to this forward-thinking um, stuff. Starting in verse 5. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Uh, he's prophesying about when the Romans would come in A.D. 70 and tear down the whole temple and destroy the whole thing. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he. And that did happen. Soon after Jesus' death, people would rise up and claim to be the Messiah. And they'd say, The time is near. Do not go after them. 
When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. Really what he's saying is, he's, he's saying man-made chaos is nothing new, okay? He's saying that this will always be happening. Sinful people destroying each other is unfortunately how it happens here on earth. It's sinners doing what sinners do best. Um, but he's saying that's not the sign. He's kind of saying, I'll show you what the sign is not. And it is not war. It is not problems on the earth that men are creating. He says, but before this all occurs, they will arrest you, he's speaking to the disciples, and persecute you. you will hand, they will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify, and they did. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. Oh, that's good. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your souls. And then he starts speaking about Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those inside the city must leave it, and those out in the country must not enter it. For these are the days of vengeance as a fulfillment of all that is written. He has a high view of scripture. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be distress on the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be taken away as captives among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem has always been surrounded by enemies. It still is. There will be signs in the sun. Now he's getting future tense. Signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and on the earth, the stress among nations. Confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves, people will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So, Jesus is saying basically when men are doing what men do best, that's not meaning it's the end. He's saying when, you, when God does the shaking, you're going to know. When the natural and the supernatural laws begin to get upended and nothing's making sense in ways that we can't control, that's when he's saying you should pay attention and rise up. When you see the stars and the heavens falling in some parts of the Bible, the tides, the oceans, uh, the sun and the moon, that's when he says be ready. Be ready. Now, Jesus will return. For one, I believe he's going to return because without it, I think we're going to destroy ourselves. Uh, the, the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham, when he traveled to Germany in the 1960s, he uh, told a story where he met the Chancellor of Germany, the Prime Minister of Germany at the time. And the, the Prime Minister asked him, Son, do you really believe uh, in the return of Jesus Christ to the earth? And he said, With all that I am, absolutely, sir, I do. And the Chancellor said to him, Son, I don't think there's a greater hope than we have in that right now. And that's the Chancellor of Germany. That he knows that without this return, we don't really have hope. Jesus will come to make all things new. He will come to judge the nations. But he will also come to gather and take us home. Because we know that instinctively this world is not our home. 
as good as it can be at times, but we know that something's off. Death and disease and suffering and pain, we know that's not how it's supposed to be. And yet we're powerless to stop it. Like Adam and Eve, we have left our home and are now in the far country. C.S. Lewis has a book called, um, it's called Paralandria. And in that, it's a fictional book, but in the book, he gives this fascinating idea that other planets are not fallen, just ours. And the other planets, people on those planets know about Earth, and they call our planet the bent planet. It's an interesting idea. It's not, it's not biblical, but it's very interesting. It's possible. Because when you go home today and you watch football, not baseball, it's over now, you'll hear the cries of this far country. You'll hear of a planet that's bent. You'll be happier if you just do this, if you just buy this. You'll be happier if you drink more beer or dance around with half-naked women. You'll be happier. And it's all lies. Maybe 20 or 30 years ago, they had a commercial that was really breaking edge at the time where, because of the 30-second spot, 25 seconds of it was quiet. And the first 25 seconds is just four guys around a campfire holding beer. I'm talking about a beer commercial at church. Look at me. Holding, and they've got fishing equipment, and they're kind of dirty, and they've got the 5 o'clock shadow. You know, they look all manly. And no one's saying anything. It's just crickets and nighttime and the fire, you know. And for about 25 seconds, one of them looks up and he says, Hey, it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> right? I remember I watched that and I thought, Really? <laughs> Sleeping on the ground with a bunch of dudes? <laughs> Drinking watery domestic beer? That's as good as it gets? Let's raise the standards here, America. It has to get better than that. I want to go home to my wife. Because <laughs> every church that I've worked in, Monday to Saturday, we receive people who have heard and received the lies of this far country, and they're wounded. They're wounded. And many of you are probably here right now. We know, they have a first-hand realization of Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages or the earnings of sin is death. And they understand that. They're getting it that a life of sin is not fulfilling. It's not fulfilling. I'm not getting the truth. That there's an emptiness, a lack of peace. And to their credit, they come to the place they should come, which is the church, for answers and prayer and counsel and help and healing. Because Jesus loves sinners, but he hates sin. He hates sin because he hates what it does to people. Sin is not just breaking rules, it's also breaking away. Going to the far country, leaving home. We sin because ultimately we want to be in charge. We think we know better than God. If we would just leave home and strike out on our own, we'll be happier. Why do people do this? Why do we go to the far country? People leave home because of wrong beliefs. See, you can't change behavior until you change the belief behind the behavior. It's like trying to quit smoking or something like that, right? Until you change the, the, the nexus or the seed of that, it will never change. The Bible calls this the renewing of your thoughts or the renewing of your mind. That the journey home starts there. 
And I've heard it said that the longest distance is, was it 12 inches from your head to your heart? Maybe longer. I don't know. I don't have a measuring stick. But the longest distance is from the thought to the heart. And therefore out that comes the behavior. Romans 12.2 says that don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let me read that. Sir, what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Other translations do say by changing the way you think or the renewal of your mind. Because Jesus said the only thing that will set you free is truth. Biblical truth. Changing the way we think. Overriding our opinion at times for our own good. And see that Jesus' truth can then change our actions and our behavior and lead us closer to home. Repentance is not just stopping certain behaviors. Now as parents, if you have children, we know this is true. When you, when you reprimand a child, you don't really just want to see external accommodation. You don't want just outward conformity, right, with your, ch- your child. You want your children to understand the why. Why? Do you understand why you just did was wrong? Right? And if you come to a deeper understanding of that, then it will change the heart and therefore change the behavior. If you influence the thought. And this is very biblical when God says in the Old Testament, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and put a new thing within you from the inside out, not the outside in. He will welcome you back home just as you are into a new person. And some people have to hit rock bottom before this happens, if at all. As we said two weeks ago, there's this idea of crystallization of discontent. That there comes a moment where you say enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm going to do something about it. Not anymore. Like he's called a light coming on. But it's not just, not just I'm going to do it my way. It's saying to God, change me, O God, according to your word. And a famous story of hitting rock bottom is the prodigal son. We've heard this if you've been in church a while. Two sons, a father, one son demands his inheritance early. I want it now, before you die. I'm, I'm essentially saying to you, Dad, I wish you were dead, and I want my stuff. And so he goes into the far country, he goes into Las Vegas, as we said a few weeks ago. And you spend, he's spending on a wild living and, and all of this. But here's what happened. He was transformed from being sick of home to homesick. Everything he was really looking for was at home. He realized, I don't have to stay here anymore. I have a father at home who loves me. And so many people today in our world, in our culture, they're stuck in the far country, struggling. And it's hard. It's hard. But we struggle. Anger, alcoholism, sexual promiscuity, other addictions. And everyone has struggles. But if we let those things become our identity, we get stuck. But you don't have to stay in that far country. Where you are is not who you are. We have to remember that the heart of our Father in Heaven is good. And it's always better at home. Really the point of the prodigal son story is God saying to us, just start home and God will meet you halfway. It's really the prodigal son story is the only time you see God ever in a hurry. 
Like he's scanning the horizon and he comes out to meet his lost child. He's telling us something about the heart of God, that he wants us to come home. And not only will God, Jesus' Jesus' return eventually is not just to come get us. He's going to come take us home. Amen? He's coming to get us. It's yet another act of grace. Something we can't do for ourselves, he's doing for us on our behalf. And here's the kicker, is that when he comes, either in death or if you're here on earth when it happens, when no one knows the day or the hour, he says, only the Father in heaven knows. But when, he, when it does, here's the kicker. He's going to treat you like you never left. And let that sink in. He's going to treat you like you never left. He's going to put a ring on your finger and a robe around your shoulder and have a party and give you a seat at his table. That's good news. Have you ever been on a trip where you just really wanted to go home? I'm not the best foreign traveler. Some people are called to be missionaries. Some friends of mine, they're great missionaries. I'm a terrible missionary. I'm awful. I I just can't. That's not my gifting. I tried. When I was in youth ministry for so long, people would look at me and go, I can never be a youth minister. I just couldn't keep up with those kids, you know. And I'd say, well, I can never be a missionary. It's just calling. It's just different. And I went on a foreign mission trip to a country, and I was doing my best, and it was really difficult. And I kept looking at my suitcase. I was like, I'm ready to go home. I love these people. They're awesome. But I'm anticipating going home. And Jesus says later in Luke 21, when you see a fig tree and the leaves are on the, on the, showing the coming of the fruit, know that this is the sign that I'm getting ready to come. He's saying just, just anticipate. Anticipate his return to be ready. To trust the heart of our God that is good and that he's ready not only to, to take us home but to, to get us and receive us to himself. And so I want to close us in prayer as we go into this time together. God, we thank you that although we're born into this far country, there's such good news that not only will can we know an eternal life with you here and now in this life on earth, but that you will come to take us home. And we have many, many friends and family who have gone ahead of us. Thank you for your word that encourages us on this walk of faith that's difficult. God, put our eyes back on your promise. Put our eyes not on the struggle. Because it will come. The struggles will come and go. But to trust your word. And there's so many reasons to see, God, that you are faithful. Forgive us for the ways we believe the lies sometimes of the far country and kept our eyes off of the truth of your word. Help us this week for your word to marinate in our lives, to change the way we think, to be a transformed people, to not go based on our opinion or what other people's opinion is of us, but to go based on what you say about us, which is that we are your beloved. And that you scan the horizon waiting for us to return. So God, we return by faith to you this morning. 
So Holy Spirit, I pray healing for those here today that are broken. They're grieving. They can't beat whatever it is. Jesus, do your work that only you can do in this place, here and now. Heal those that need healing. Break chains that need to be broken. Awaken hearts and souls that need it. Pour out your living water upon our lives to sustain us and give us power until that day when all of us will see you return. As you said, everyone will see you coming. And we look forward to that day, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.